Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, Zero Trust in Operational Technology, with special guest Lewis Parks, co-founder and CEO of The Redify. Lewis, welcome to the show. Darren, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Hey, we've we've talked. It's been a, about a year the first time that we talked. It has. Right? It has. Yeah, you have some really cool technology. But before we get into the technology and the use the use um, space and and all that, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came about being a co-founder of Veritify. And yeah, who are you? Why do I even have you on the show? <laughs> Sounds like a question my my wife would be asking, <laughs> so, or at least some some of my sons. Anyways, it, it's it's great to be here. My journey here has, uh, I think I've shared some of it in the past. But as I as I as I tell my grown sons, I started off in the world in the Google of my day, a place called IBM. Um, yeah, that was the Google. Uh, now, uh, yes, as a as a field engineer and a salesperson. So I had a, an interesting training post-business school, but even more interesting, and, and it's one of these things where hopefully people will stay tuned in even though I'm that old. When I was in high school, I was part of an experiment. Could you teach computer programming to a kid? A uh, kid defined as post 16 years of age. <clears throat> and of course, what did that involve is this thing called an 80 column punch card. I think it was an IBM 026 for those of you listeners out there. Uh, okay. There. You're the first one I've interviewed that has admitted to programming with punch cards. I know others that I've interviewed have, but they wouldn't admit to it. So Lewis, that's pretty brave of you. I, I even could, you know, remember the days of JCL. Anyways, as my <laughs> kids would say, did you use wires and plug things in because then they're ready to put me in a home? So I'm not quite that old. <laughs> but anyways, so fast forward, my, you know, I came out of high school programming in several languages into business school, out of business school to IBM. And so I've had a very um, <clears throat> intuitive uh, approach, uh, not intuitive, excuse me. I've had a very... Uh, interesting curiosity about technology from a young age. So, uh, and here I am. Uh, and in fact, um, on exiting one of my software, enterprise software uh, businesses, was introduced to my co-founders who are mathematician cryptographers, became fascinated with the work they were doing in the difficulty of securing small processors um, years and years ago, not realizing that the whole world would move itself to the edge in small processors and intersect with uh, really what began as a classic napkin whiteboard enterprise uh, funded early by the National Science Foundation to develop technologies that evolved in some projects that our friends at the DOD and brought us here today. So that's really interesting. You start your career um, with big, big mainframes. And now you've moved all the way out to the edge to the smallest um, processors. Um, in, in, in fact, in a space that it fascinates me because I'm from the IT side, operational technology it fascinates me um, because um, it's, it, it's like it's been put in this glass shell and everything else has moved on and, and 
it has still kind of stayed true to its original mission and its its original um architecture does that does that make sense or am i just seeing it wrong yeah I, you know what um <clears throat> it you could call it the uh the the poor cousin the you know the shoemaker's child what have you it, although it's interesting because i would tell you that it's probably more um the acceleration of connectivity in the world as we know it today for getting all the other buzz things happening around ai and what have you that um <clears throat> the light has finally been shone upon it so where you might have had a standalone ot um installation maybe doing something critical in infrastructure um SCADA building um for decades uh it was never really connected to anything it was never an issue and now that the it iot world has shone a light on it um both for the users and for, unfortunately, those in the world of ransomware and cyber attacks. Um, we're all thinking about it now. Yeah, there's actually some pretty famous OT um, infiltrations that happened. Um, Target, they went through an HVAC system to steal credit cards. Whoever would have thought that? And, you know, probably the most infamous is Stuxnet. Um, right where uh, some centrifuges in Iran were attacked. Um, but we're seeing more of these critical infrastructure um, attacks happening um, with the war um, going on in Israel. Um, and in the Ukraine, we've seen dramatic attacks on, on critical infrastructure um, that took down power grids or took over the um, emergency alert system in Israel. Um, so it's, it's no longer in its isolated shell like it used to be, is it? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because I, I always like to, I like to, you look at movies, you look at Hollywood when they're not on strike and the stories they produce and inevitably they sort of portend the things to come. And you can go back yeah. probably, probably almost a decade and I can't, quote the exact movie but there was one of the uh bruce willis uh movies uh, oh yeah live free or die hard right where they take over the public infrastructure of a city to manage the lights and lo and behold you know anybody who's done anything in the ot world in the public sector knows that you know those that infrastructure and things that we put in place are a threat there was another uh, one of the fast and furious i believe uh used uh, autonomous vehicles to uh, block a roadway by having them shoot out a parkade. I remember miles. that. <laughs> now, you think about it, but lo and behold, you can also go on YouTube and find where DARPA has shown taking control of an autonomous vehicle and driving it around the parking lot against its will. So, you know, you see these things in the movies and then it comes to real life. And unfortunately, What's happening today in the in the scenarios you just quoted is that real life is real life now. We're seeing it in real time, and that is, you know, arguably um, should be uh, a big uh, alarm or spotlight to your point of these sleepy technologies we didn't think about until now. I, I hate to call them sleepy because. The more I dug into it, and it really fascinates me so much that my PhD dissertation is on IT and OT cybersecurity best practices. 
Um, so obviously it's more than just a fascination, right? It's kind of a obsession right now. But what, what I have found is um, I, the OT side of the house is very sophisticated. And they're, um, the, the way that they think about reliability and safety is very different than the IT side of the house. On the IT side of the house, they want, hey, if I have four nines uptime, meaning 99.99% uptime um, per year, that's incredible. But you talk to OT guys and they go, my stuff can't go down for 40 years. And it's been running for 40 years, never been down. So di completely different mentality. And I think part of that is, is because on the OT side, you're dealing with physical world. People can die or get injured uh, very, very badly if things go wrong. Uh, so it's a very different mentality. Um, and, um, but that has caused some problems now that, you know, business wants to know more about what's going on in the OT side and they want to connect it. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, and, and don't forget that is also now being compounded in a positive sense, because I will tell you that we operate in a, most of us, most of the listeners, I assume, are operating in a free market uh, economy and we all get to do, um, you know, we get to vote through purchasing and whatever, what we think, you know, is a good automobile or what is a safe building or a good factory uh, device. But I think that the, to your point, the, the need, operational need for, you know, 100%, the, the concept of safety versus, you know, on the IT side, it's a lot of it is data integrity, data protection. Um, and it's not the end of the world. If I say that the server in the accounting department looks infected, please log off, we're sending somebody up to replace it. Um, something running a critical element of infrastructure uh, in a hospital or elsewhere may not have that luxury. And it's in the extra element I was going to add is that our government and uh, has recognized it in that you are now seeing in headlines, CISOs being uh, taken to court. Being yeah. Solar winds, being, right? Yes. That's, that should be a big wake up call. I think it was a year or two ago, Gartner projected that by 2024, 26, it's always good. It's, it's always good to project the future. I can't tell you yeah, of course. tomorrow, <laughs> but I will tell you in 10 years, um, you know, how you'll be getting to work anyways. But they did project that CEOs would become liable for many of the data and or cyber issues of their companies. And that seems to be evolving there, good or bad. I mean, I leave that to your audience to decide if it's a good or bad thing. But yeah, so on top of needing that uptime, needing that security, you now have the additional pressure um, or reminder uh, that you better do it right and, and put some effort into doing it right, which has not been the case as we started this discussion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, I, I, I understood something really interesting in the operational technology, OT space. It is fundamentally different because every single device that is controlling a machine or, or sensor, um, there isn't a common um, uh, language that they all speak. 
unlike on the IT side, everyone speaks TCP, IP, UDP, the, 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 the traditional internet protocol stack, right? That's not the case on the operational technology side. Why, why is that? Why, why is it so different on the operational technology side? What's the history behind that? So th there's a couple of elements to it. Um, and it's funny because I've often been places and I said, you know, if Apple was responsible for this, we wouldn't be talking about anything because they would have locked it all down. Yeah. Or bad, whatever the incentive was for doing that. Um, but we wouldn't be worried about all these different or, or lack of OS. Sometimes you say a different OS. Many of these industrial platforms, there is no OS. So um, that makes it a challenge to secure. But if you look at the nature of this environment, it is different than the IT world. In the IT world, to your point, it's homogenous. I have a Linux world. I live in a Microsoft world. I live in whatever. Um, and, and hence, you buy the market tools, the platforms, what have you, for that IP platform. And by the way, the life cycle there tends to be significantly accelerated. Probably very few people here are listening to us on a 10-year-old platform, uh, but a 10-year-old platform is the minimum targeted platform for one of our partners for their industrial devices to be in the field. And I think, as you know, from some of your work, you have decades of products in place and untouched. I, yeah. I, in and, fact, I was shocked. I, I, I was working in a shipyard, um, helping shipyards modernize. And they brought me into this huge warehouse and, sh and sh uh, showed me a, uh, a break, uh, which bends steel. That's what it does. It's, it's, a, it's a, a press break, um, almost 100 years old. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm like, and you're still using it? goes, it's the best in the world. Why would I not use it? I'm like, how do I? How do I secure that thing? And do I hook it up to the internet? You know, it's crazy when you think about how long some of these systems have to be running. Right. So if you take that scenario and now you talk about the evolution of either a business process, a business operationally, even a public sector entity, as new things come into being and you want to take advantage of them and they don't necessarily replace what's there, you now tend to accumulate these additional technologies in place. And by the way, um, I think it would be really great if we were using, you know, transportation tools from Studebaker, but they're not in business anymore. <laughs> and so whatever that equivalent is in the industrial world and or in the, you know, building automation world or whatever OT world we go to. So now you tend to have a mix of vendors in a situation with a mix of technologies because pre-IP, you know, there are non-IP networks. One of the big revelations for us working in the building space was we developed our initial tools to address building automation, OT networks running on IP platforms. Well, guess what? In the technology space, particularly something called BACnet, one of the industrial protocols, there's a, a method called MSTP. It's a token passing network topology. And so this predates IP. It's the old stuff. And you know what? It's a predominantly used technology today. Um, why? Because it's less expensive and you can do longer wire runs. So if the building owner says, well, will the thermostat work? Will the access controls work? Will the HVAC work? Well, yeah, use the lower cost thing. 
So many people who visit New York City and see this big shiny thing at the bottom of the city, the Liberty, you know, the replacement, you know, our, our great tower um, at the Freedom Tower at the bottom of the city, that brand new shiny thing has an IP backbone, but all the devices and all the floors are running on this multi-decade old technology called MSTP. That is fascinating. And so just to save a buck. So what? So in these older protocols, was security even thought about? Cybersecurity, or are they? Because the IP stack cybersecurity was at least thought about. And, and there's hooks that I can plug in. I can encrypt my data across. I, there's all, all the things that we got on the IT side and that have become mature because IT has been under attack from hackers for decades. On the OT side, they really haven't. So do these protocols, are they precluded to do encryption or is that just not even there? And your audience will excuse me, this is a great opening for a plug. But the short answer is no, there is no security. It wasn't contemplated then. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's many things that we have today that the technology was not contemplated or the need for that in, in the space. Um, and that was one of them. So, you know, these were... They were networks, but they were standalone, you know, again, running on 485, what have you, twisted pair, who would ever thunk it? Um, and arguably, it may be somewhat more challenging or limited, but it is still a door or an access point to a network or to a um, environment, much like you referenced, you know, a little ways back target, you know, and again, it was... Um, you know, and again, there's always a human element and we're not going to well, say yeah. they, they yeah. broke whatever, but uh, not quite as sophisticated as, as the Stuxnet and the multi-layered zero-day protocols that were combined together to, in fact, deliver that attack. But um, these networks have been uh, unprotected. And that really, frankly, is one of those head scratchers. And so we, we our company Vertify, because we're focused on protocols and primitives to protect edge devices, we've actually developed uh, an element that will protect a non-IP network because we can operate on this token passing. Again, it's still data. It's still elements of data moving on a network to support a zero trust is the topic of today is, um, but it's challenging. And, you know, and this goes, and so now you've compiled multiple decades of, of, a, of an operation in place with changing topologies, with vendors coming and going. So you end up walking into a commercial office building. You end up walking into a large uh, factory, a factory production environment yep. with, you know, uh, you, you know, your basic spaghetti, what have you, uh, of technologies. And somebody says, well, make it secure. So, so can you explain some of the tenets of zero trust in this space that we need to leverage that are difficult where you guys have found, Hey, this is something we can bring to the table. You found, you found a niche, a problem space, um, specifically around security and zero trust. 
So what are those principles of zero trust that you're really addressing in the OT space? So, so it's, it, it, so it's a great question and it, and it's actually going to take a little um, poetic license in it to step back for a minute because that's fine. Everything yeah. I look at down to the food store I shop at seems to put, Hey, and we're zero trust, you know, it's low fat <laughs> and zero trust. Um, and that seems to be, uh, you know, in the world today, what's going on. And people don't realize there's several components or layers to zero trust. So everybody says we're zero trust. And in often cases they are. In the IT world, oftentimes it's about identity management, network segmentation. You know, there's there's different components. There's arguably five or six components to zero trust, if you were to be zero trust. Technically few things do all of them because frankly they don't touch all those technologies you know maybe right. a, a network tool does not actually have specific device on device agent components so it's not going to deal with the endpoint security it will assist with endpoint security by maybe uh validating a certificate what have you but it's not actually securing an edge device it, it may be providing some sort of monitoring or protection so um, so I think in, in answering the question, what we're doing, so we, we as a company are focused on the edge or device, the security of that edge device, independent of the network. So most of what we see in the OT world, and logically so, comes from the IT world because it's more mature. Right. And in frankly, the security realm it is, yeah. Yes, and, there, and, and there's still a network involved, so a lot of the network tools can be applied. Um, and, um, it's all good. Some things which I will leave to your readers and maybe your, some of your listeners have, have done it so they could actually call us or maybe do a show on it, how you do network segmentation as a security tool, which is one of the pillars of zero trust, right. uh, and a good tool in the data world. you want to minimize, God forbid you find an anomaly on your network. You want to minimize, um, you know, exposure, what have you. But going back to an OT world, if you're running a critical operational infrastructure, how do you now digitally fence off a controlling or critical PLC or something, managing that function to your earlier comment, it needs to be up not only 100% of the day, but of the year of the whatever. Um, so, so, you need, so let me understand, you need isolation. That's a key tenant of zero trust microsegment segmentation, encryption of data. These are all key elements. But in that isolation, if I do have an infiltration, something's infected. I, in the OT world, what I have learned is they don't shut the machine down. So Correct. I, instead I need to isolate it where data Correct. can come in, but nothing can come out. Right. Is that kind of the, the philosophy behind it? So that's the philosophy in general. And so how do you do it? Well, then you come up with something called micro segmentation. So we really segment down to very little pieces, optimally to each device, which frankly, in large environments, I would say becomes highly impractical. Yeah, yeah. with 10,000 endpoints, that'd be really hard. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, I read uh, oh my God, some time ago, an Intel partner who, uh, did a project at a university uh, location. And I think they, uh, when they were finished with some building OT network updates, claimed 300,000 endpoints. Oh, wow. 
which, wow. yeah, not a lot for that world, but that gives you an idea if you were to do, you know, microsegmentation. So that's been the general approach. We have a, we take a subset of that and we very specifically, we have a device level approach. So arguably we are, because of the technology we apply, doing the endpoint at device um, protection because we're not taking a network approach. And by the way, I'm saying okay. that network may approach may be more practical or better in some cases. So in me saying this, what I won't be so bold as saying, our approach is better. It may be more practical in situations. It may provide the protection you're really seeking. Um, but again, it's as we all know, it's many layers of things in the hopes of being protected. There's no one thing. So as much as I want to say our one thing will do it, you know, we're designed actually, and this is a secondary point, the network tools that are typically providing zero trust, which are monitoring and visibility focused, right. do not do anything to the network. So the other tenant which you raised, which is encryption, authentication, you know, the protection of the data, which no IT person would think of, you know, sending patient data, credit card data, or anything out unencrypted, travels in plain text in the OT world. Yeah. Our, our tools specifically encrypt at the packet level the data over the existing network. So I use this term loosely because you'll have some very technical people that are challenging me on it, but we do create a VPN-like platform because we create a tunnel over the existing public OT network and we encrypt the packets running through it. So that's pretty cool. Um, so if someone has, and, and, and how does that protect, that could protect people from having physical access to your network, which in the OT space could be very, vi I mean, think about a smart city. There's OT network all over the place or even in a building, right? We've all seen the spy novels, right? Where they, where they, you know, sneak into the building and then they put something on the wires and now they have access and control the whole building. Oh, yeah. I, and listen, <laughs> That's not far-fetched, is it? it? Well, it's not far-fetched. I think it was uh, Richard Clark's book about seven, eight years ago, maybe a little longer. He opens it describing um, a specific uh, attack uh, in the Middle East where um, the, the country, Israel in this case, basically it's like the old-time bank robberies where they put up a picture of the lobby in front of the camera so the security would be looking at it yeah. while behind the scenes they were hacking the hole. And basically to take out what was going to be whatever the classified site was, Israel posted a picture of a clear sky to the radar systems of Syria, I believe it was Syria, while they flew in, did what they did and flew out, nobody seeing. And no one, no one saw them at so all. This is all happening real and it's kind of, I'm not going to say it's old hat. Um, I can never claim to do it, but yes. So that is, that is an issue. And, and so, we, so with your stuff, you're encrypting that data. We're encrypting um, it. And, and, yeah. and you're connecting the two sides, meaning um, you prevent the man in the middle attack, right? Correct. As okay. a matter of fact, if you were to see a demonstration, you know, at a trade show we we're at, um, one of the very, the specific demonstration we do is we have a tablet that we actually plug into the switch between two of our devices. 
So this is the person who doesn't like your entity anymore, who comes back with their laptop, goes into the basement, the back closet, what have you, and decides that they're now gonna wreak havoc. And so we show that a tablet plugged into the network switch, trying to relaunch commands to edge devices on that OT network. And that's what we show protecting against, because again, if every packet needs to be authenticated before it's decrypted, and either as a command passed in or as a log file passed out, this device plugged in will need that same credentials. And again, people who are familiar with asymmetric or public key methods and what have you know that and you, you know you can't do replays because of the layering and of nonsense. You know, every packet again is different. So replay attacks are protected against. So that is the attack we demonstrate because that is the most nefarious in terms of you know, you know physically gaining access to the network. Well, and, and that's something unique in OT that the IT guys don't worry about, right? The IT guys, I just, everything's in a, in a closed lockdown data center. In the IT space, I've got devices out in the public um, that are easily accessible. You might have to climb on top of a, uh, a ladder to get to a, um, a smart camera or a light. Um, but typically they're pretty accessible and very accessible by um, several of your employees in the manufacturing space, for example. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and people don't even realize, and it's an interesting concept, which is gaining traction in the OT world, which is very big in the IT world, which is visibility. As a matter of fact, there are literally just yeah. products that do nothing but, you know, that are cyber security products. They're not, and again, a lot of what we call- They just let you see everything, right? Is monitoring, exactly. Because again, the IT, what is the CTO worried about? Yeah, brought something from home. Yeah, picked yeah. up that thumb drive in the parking lot and you want to see what's on it. And I always say, in the OT world, we're not really worried that somebody is bringing a thermostat from home. Or, you know, you know that's not the <laughs> driving thing. And, you know, so, but. But you, may, but you may be worried about a vendor that you gave access to remotely to work on a, on a device that's gone down that they have to, re, and now your network is wide open. That's a, that's a discussion for another day. Um, yep, absolutely. On that. So if, if my listeners um, want to learn more, Lewis, about um, your company, where do they go to find out more? And if, if they have these issues in, in well, anyone that has OT ha has these types of issues they're trying to deal with now, how do they find out more about you and your company? Um, well, the, the prime source would be, you're welcome to come to our website at veridify.com. Um, the product we've been talking about indirectly, and again, and I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation, but uh, for the extension is called Dome. Um, is the platform we've developed, which is a um, uh, fairly extensive SaaS OT platform. And in fact, you can go to the Intel website and you'll find Dome there with some of our OEM partners, uh, both in the building control sector and in the industrial distribution sector. Uh, people like Advantech, um, KMC Controls in various places on the Intel site. But our site, veridify.com, uh, and anybody has any questions, uh, you can send them uh, to info at verify.com in the subject line. Please put for Lewis and uh, it will get to me and we will make sure that we answer any additional questions that we may have raised 
been talking about. These well, we, yeah, we may have raised more <laughs> questions and answers. Um, I'll also put this on our blog site. Um, so there'll be links from um, embracingdigital.org. Uh, check out um, the episode there and we'll put all the links on there. And maybe even we might even find a white paper we can put up there as as well for people. So, Lewis, I, the time went so quick. I can't believe it. Thanks for coming on the show. I, I really appreciated this. We for sure are going to have you come back um, and talk about um, some other things. We'll, you're a great guest, so we most definitely will have you back. Super. Yeah. No, there's some cool stuff coming around the corner. Unfortunately, because there's some cool stuff happening for the bad guys, but happy to come back and talk. I appreciate the time, Darren. Great to see you again. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.